It's time to rethink everything, to redo the rulebook, to explore smarter ways to work and rediscover what's possible. Time for a fresh take on how technology and creativity are changing the way work gets done. Welcome to The Big Rethink. I'm your host, Barry Ross. And today's episode discusses the challenges that restaurants and fast casual diners are facing every day. For diners, it is the desire for a quick, freshly prepared takeout meal. For restaurants, it's managing quality control and delivering consistently prepared hot or cold food to remote locations in a hyper-competitive market. Our guest, Agnes Sawa, Senior Program Manager in Panasonic's Digital Solutions Center. Agnes, welcome to the show. Hey, hey. How are you, Barry? It's great to have you. So let's hit it. You know, we've got a number of questions and a pretty broad topic. So let me just start off by asking, what are the challenges facing fast casual restaurants today? I tell you, it has been a massive roller coaster ride for restaurants. We went from um, awesome, amazing business. I live in Chicago. St. Patty's is is a huge boom for our restaurants and bars here locally, and we went from that in the middle of March to a screeching halt. Um, and right now, the restaurants that we're talking to, they want to reopen. They want to do it safely, and they want to, you know, continue to build that customer's trust. There's a lot of people that are apprehensive. A lot of people are eating at home a lot more, and we're still trying to adjust of what this new world is going to look like. So it's uh, it's been a rough ride for a lot of our restaurant customers, um, and you know, quite a few of them are doing really, really well, adjusting and being fluid and flexible, um, just adapting new technologies and new solutions um, to try to get closer to their customers and, and try to stay alive. Yeah, that's that's super important. Uh, just based on what you just said, I mean, the new norm, we talk about it every day. And so let's talk about that a little further then, if you could, and humor me. So how are some of these restaurants facing these new challenges? You know, the, the ones that, you know, really shifted their business models very quickly are the ones that, you know, are most successful right now facing the challenges. Um, the first thing um, that that I saw sometime late March was, uh, was a study and a paper done by McKinsey that, you know, talks about four best practices, both for consumer-facing uh, retail as well as restaurant businesses. And it starts with the fundamental focusing on care and concern, both for your employees mm. and for your customers. The way that uh, has materialized um, in the world of restaurants is just kind of reaching out to your community, being in front of people, having your employees do, you know, wellness checks, for example, on some of your regular customers, um, just getting in front of people with care and concern and not necessarily trying to sell them stuff in, in this um, time. Um, that was a, a fundamental, but, uh, but ultimately these are businesses and they need to, you know, kind of work for a profit. So how do they continue and sustain that business? And that has forced a lot of restaurants to kind of shift what they do and where they meet their customers. What they do is is what kind of meals they're serving. So it used to be that, you know, Barry and Agnes would go out for lunch. Each one of us would order a salad or a slice of pizza. And that was the bulk of restaurants' businesses. Uh, now what's happening is, you know, families are eating together at home. A lot of people are working from home. So now you're, you're 
kind of getting kits for maybe four or more, two or more. Um, sometimes they're including liquor in those orders. A lot of uh, local governments have been very supportive of, of their restaurant community, restaurant tours, and understanding that alcohol sales are a big part of their business, uh, enabling alcohol delivery as well as off-prem sales of mixed drinks mm-hmm. has been a, a big component. So being able to create you know unique menu uh, options that lend themselves better to eating at home has been the what. In terms of the how and, and the where you meet your customers, of course, the dining areas are still closed. So we're looking at two months now um, that restaurants haven't had any customers coming in. Of course, you've got um, Georgia and various other states starting to open um, open or reopen slowly, but um But by and large, dining areas remain closed. And so restaurants business is either delivery or takeout. Um, Takeout happens um, either by curbside pickup. Um, We've had customers come to the front counter and pick up the fast, uh, the QSR type restaurants still continue to do their business through their drive-thrus. Um, and the solution that I've been working on is is the food lockers, which is a convenient way for restaurants to be able to handle takeout um, and service their customers directly. So that's that's been one of those solutions that, you know, kind of fits the bill, um, allowing restaurants to continue to, to produce, you know, and, and cook beautiful food that everybody's looking forward to, um, but still allow customers to, to pick it up on their own terms when they want it um, in the quality that they expect from the restaurant, but not necessarily having to have the contact that, you know, puts people at risk. Yeah, I think that's an important distinction. And, you know, I, I, the background, I think, between balancing a business and what's safe, I think, for your customer, I think, plays well into the concept of what you just talked about, this solution, which we now call food lockers. But if I could ask you just to be really clear, what is the concept behind food lockers as a platform or offer a solution? So the concept of food lockers is is really just that it's a it's a locker that enables um, restaurants to um, give their customers a contactless pickup experience. It enables restaurants to have uh, delivery uh, without having those delivery drivers come inside the restaurant, for example, and be in contact with their employees. They can uh, serve themselves and do the pickup of their delivery items without even entering the restaurant um, premises. What we're anticipating going forward as lobbies um, and dining areas are allowed to reopen, there's going to be occupancy limits, for example, um, and you will want to kind of keep that occupancy um, for the customers that are, that are dining in and not necessarily the revolving door of, of people doing pickups and takeout. So being able to separate that flow um, is very important. And so the concept of food lockers enables um, essentially more customer turnover for um, for restaurants. They will need to um, to kind of bring in that revenue to sustain the restaurant operation. So the, the more customers they can serve, um, if the the better off they're going to be financially, um, but also giving the customer that that experience that they're expecting, and also you know kind of 
meeting the customers that that do have concerns that you know might have a family member who is who's got immune system challenges and they really want to protect their family or protect their close ones um making sure that they have a way to um to still buy from the restaurant and continue to you know support local businesses and all of the people that you know are in that community uh, but do it safely and on their own terms. So the food locker concept is really many things to many people. I think to um, to the the buyer um, and the diners, it's it's a way to to have restaurant quality meals um, in the comfort of your own home at the convenience of you know the time that you want. Um, and at the quality of uh, that you're expecting from that restaurant's prep. For the restaurant, it's a it's a way to sustain revenue, get customers coming back in and buying more from you. Um, for the crew and the employees of the restaurant, it's really the additional layer of safety and knowing that they're not having to interact with such a revolving door of customers coming through the restaurant. So it, I think it means different things to different stakeholders, uh, but it, it ends up being kind of that, that buffer that we sort of need at a time like this. Yeah, I, I like the way you describe that, Agnes. It's talking about the pain points, but from a number of different perspectives, both from the restaurant owner, but also the customer. And so, Agnes, you know, thinking about what uh, Food Locker is, you know, what do you think the uh, impacts will be to the food delivery service? Food delivery service is a, is a pretty interesting dynamic in the restaurant space. So food delivery is not new. It wasn't created by the COVID pandemic. Um, it had been a growing trend for at least the last couple of years. Um, and it has been taking a, a growing proportion of the restaurant sales um, for the past couple of years. And, and it's, um, it's, it's, kind of done the hockey stick since uh since march and april delivery is uh is a disruptor for our restaurant customers um it forces them to to think very innovatively around what they sell um both in terms of how it, what is the quality of that food by the time it gets into the customer's hand imagine you're getting a burger and some french fries because you're hungry and it's three o'clock in the morning those fries by the time they get to you they're soggy um, they don't look very appetizing um, so restaurants that tend to do well in delivery are pizza um, they're the asian takeout there's the there's the food that you historically think of as you know really good quality in delivery and there's other restaurants that haven't been able to play in delivery like ice cream you can't really deliver ice cream uh even if <laughs> even if you really really wish um you could um so so restaurants have been thinking um long and hard on on how to really meet the customers where they're at delivery is definitely one part of that equation um financially from a business model delivery does take a massive um cut on the mm. profitability of a restaurant um both for the delivery fees, some of the other promotional charges and fees that uh, delivery companies charge. And so a lot of restaurants want to have a compelling option 
of going to the customers directly. Uh, that means, you know, kind of the, the buy online, pick up in store or pick up on site model where they just have, you know, a mobile ordering app or, um, or a web page where you can place your orders. Uh, but you're allowing the customers to, to kind of come inside and, and pick up their food directly from the restaurants. From once again, just going back to what this means to, to the different stakeholders, me as a customer, um, you know, I, we're in a community of many small mom and pop shop uh, restaurants and bars, um, and I want to support those people, the the restaurateurs or the bar owners that you know are you know employing um, locals, and they're part of my community. I don't necessarily want to support a big conglomerate that's being funded by venture capital somewhere in Silicon Valley. I actually want my money in this time of hardship to go directly to those businesses. And so um, what restaurants are, are doing right now is is trying to find what that new balance is, where they can continue to grow profitably, um, offer delivery options, but really bring themselves closer to the customer and offer a very compelling competitive option for customers to buy directly in an off-prem uh, situation, whether that's, you know, self-takeout or, you know, some restaurants decided to do their own delivery and do, you know, kind of port side uh, drop-offs. Um, but delivery is not stopping anytime soon. Um, the locker solution that Panasonic has cooked up works really well for the delivery model, um, mainly because it keeps the drivers, you know, in a separate workflow for a restaurant, it's going to be critical that they can focus on the customers that are going to be there wanting to dine in or do their direct pickup and then have delivery drivers served as quickly as possible, um, you know, giving decent quality food to the customers that are expecting it in the comfort of their own homes. Um, what you could do is you could have a separated bank of lockers where delivery drivers are picking up um, the food. It's actually much more convenient for those delivery drivers. Plus they're not coming into the lobby and, um, you know, counting against your occupancy limits perhaps and allowing restaurants to serve as many people in that, you know, small period of time that they have, that window of time that, you know, people want to eat lunch or dinner or whatever those day parts are. And so I think that's a, a, a good distinction. And I appreciate the background uh, for uh, food delivery services, because they've always been there, from what I remember. And I think it's important that we do patronize you know, the smaller, you know, businesses, the, the restaurateurs. Uh, and so I totally get it. But if you think about delivery services as one use case, I guess, what about, you know, co-working and secure workspaces? How does Food Locker address those use cases? Ah, well, that's a that's another uh, area for delivery that is pretty interesting. So delivery companies um, really have two points of contact. You've got the driver doing the pickup at the restaurant and they have a, a drop-off at wherever the customer is. And what that could be is it's it could be a 10, 12, 50-story building, a residential building that's got, you know, a security gate at the front. Uh, it could be a big co-working space or one of those secure workspaces where you've got to have a badge to get past. And now imagine you've got that delivery driver that's showing up with your order. One of the employees behind the two or three barriers of security um, is waiting for the food to be delivered. Um, yet the driver doesn't have a, an efficient way to get to that end customer. 
So that handoff is very inefficient. So, you know, we've got drivers roaming around campuses um, in crowded, you know, high dense areas um, where, you know, you've got delivery um, drivers coming in to do drop offs at whether it's a, a lunch drop off at an office building or residential. They've got to find a parking space. They've got to run the food inside, get past all of those layers of security and still find you as the customer. Um, you've been in one of those crowded buildings where, you know, the employee has to still make it down the elevator or the escalator, get past their layers of security. And that's time wasted, right? So these drivers are not making massive amounts of money. Um, the way they're profitable is is that they go from one job to the next and they could do it as efficiently as possible. Um, squeeze in as many deliveries as they can. Um, you could see how lockers at the point of destination could really ease um, that communication to the end customer where the delivery driver's job is done when they stuck that meal in the locker. And now you as the end customer, once again, have the flexibility. If you started a conference call or somebody called you at your desk, as that driver is downstairs trying to look around and, and trying to find you, you now can finish your call and 15 minutes later, come and pick up your food. It's safe, secure, kept warm for you. So you're, you're able to still you know, have the experience in your control and on your own time, whereas you've released that driver to move on to the to the next job. It's really you're automating the step of waiting, and nobody really likes waiting. Yeah, I, I love the efficiency of it. It sounds like it's super effective. And so let me ask you a few questions about you know food locker features, because I think that's where the magic happens. And so when we talk about integration of food locker into you know native ordering systems, what exactly does that mean? Um, yeah, so for any of the order workflows that we're talking about, um, the the prime assumption is that the order into the restaurant has has come before the customer stepped foot in the restaurant. So historically, you would have shown up at a restaurant, sat at a table, looked at a menu, and placed an order to a server, or you know showed up at a front counter and placed your order there. Um, for all of the cases that we're talking about using lockers, those orders um, were placed long before. They were either done in a mobile app, it were it was done in you know DoorDash, Grubhub, Uber Eats platform, or it was done um, just in the browser on the web page of the restaurant. So you decided what you want to eat, you were doing it from your couch or from your desk, wherever you were at the time. And now that order flows into the kitchen, the kitchen preps it. So in essence, for us to be able to um, assign a locker to those orders, um, we'd have to kind of present you with a location and say, yes, you can deliver your order to a locker. Um, and the integration really is that um, that piece, which is, you know, kind of receiving an order from um, that external system. Um, oftentimes that is all triage through the POS, but it could sometimes be um, through the, the mobile ordering um, platform. And then ultimately, we then have to notify you as the end customer to say, hey, your order's been loaded into a locker and you can pick it up with such and such barcode or these credentials. So um, just being able to notify that customer at such and such phone number or email address, um, that's the second part of the integrations. Um, you know, the, the platform is um, that we've created is, is very flexible. 
on um, many integrations, but we also have some open API interfaces that allow other systems to, to kind of meet us where um, where we are for a very, um, you know, cost-effective, quick, and easy implementation. We've kind of done it many different ways, and we've even offered a, a solution that doesn't require any integration. So, you know, you throw a tablet into the kitchen, the crew might have to, you know, take an extra step or two, but what we're kind of thinking in in this day and age, these restaurants are, you know, they're they're trying new things at such a massive um, fast clip right now. They've taken um, these adoption curves for new technologies and they've shrank them from one and a half to two years down to three to six months because that's what survival is. And what that means is they need to be able to move very quickly uh, to make their decisions. And sometimes the, the time it takes to do the integrations before you even know that a solution is right for you just is prohibitive. So what we've done is we said, try us out really, you know, in a, in a non-committal, non-integrated fashion, try to, try to see whether or not, whether it's lockers or various other solutions that bring you closer to the customer are the right thing for your business and for the model of this restaurant. Um, and then later on, we'll tackle the, the investments, the integrations, and some of the, um, the other work that we all know that needs to be done. I think historically and before COVID, um, we all wanted to have our house clean and, you know, cliche after cliche, the ducks in a row before we would, you know, go and have a broader rollout. We thought of ourselves as, you know, kind of this this really large, credible player with massive amounts of scale that a lot of large customers come to as Panasonic. Um, and that's what we wanted to bring to the table. Um, in today's day and age, I, the strength that we're bringing is really the fact that we can move quickly and we can be fluid with our customers. So we can start small and we can build on that and, and incorporate the learnings from uh, proof of concept, which, which meant to us that we had to scale back on potentially some of the integrations, even though we have those capabilities and say, we can get you started quickly. And, and so I think that... It, Integration, I think you hit on it, is important, or the lack thereof. The time and resources needed to integrate some type of solution. And so another feature that stuck out stuck out to me uh, in our previous conversation was, you know, why are food holding options important to the restaurant? Like, what are those examples of those food holding options that we need? So food holding options um, are really some of the considerations restaurants are, are really discovering right now while working with Panasonic on the lockers. Um, we're trying to figure out, you know, what's the size of the cubby that you would need? What's the average order? So if you're a pizza operation, do the people, you know, order typically a, a single pie or do they order a couple pies in a bowl? Um, and that helps you decide, you know, how big that cubby is going to be depending on what you're mainly serving um, and what is the duration of hold time that you're expecting your customers to um, um, to keep. Um, you will decide whether or not you want a heated locker, you want a refrigerated locker, for example, for your, your cold goods or, or salads even. Um, and those are all considerations because, of course, restaurants are a very tight margin business. And so cost is imperative. So if we can get away with potentially an ambient or an ambient insulated locker and the end customer is still getting um, 
a quality experience. They're still feeling like I am experiencing the quality of this restaurant um, when I pick it up or when I open up that cubby, you know, my, my pizza is still smelling of, you know, gooey cheese and, and marinara sauce. You're thinking, okay, I've done my job and I've done it for, you know, the, the lowest um, cost possible. Depending on um, the the type of operation, you know those those answers are going to be different, and and that's why Panasonic decided that we would try to remain as flexible as possible at this period of time, as restaurants are doing proofs of concept of lockers, and they're kind of deciding what they're going to be specking for their future rollouts and the the mass scale rollouts. But in the meantime, we're saying we'll give you an option of an ambient or an insulated locker. And then we'll also give you an option for a heated or refrigerated. Um, interestingly, you know, we talked about delivery and a lot of um, ice cream froyo places cannot participate very effectively mm. in the off-prem right now, mainly because, you know, you would walk into pink berries or 16 handles and you pull your own handle and you put your toppings on there. And you, it's really difficult to imagine a concept like that where um, I go into a mobile app and I say, okay, well, I want my Froyo and I, you know, want some Heath Bar and M&M sprinkled on it. By the time you show up, it's a soggy mess. So, um, you know, I've got folks that are talking about potentially putting dry ice in my refrigerated or ambient insulated lockers to be able to um, get people to pick up ice cream. I mean, we haven't stopped eating ice cream. I I want Froyo. (laughs) So I'd like an ability to enjoy it. And and this might be one way where you can still ensure the quality of whatever product it is that you're selling um, and continue that business, which is really what our customers are after. Well, so so let's move a little bit then from the details of the requirements and features to, I'm going to ask you to put on your Merlin hat, uh, Agnes, and what do you think the future of innovation looks like for applications like Food Locker? Five years out, 10 years out, what do you think? Uh, you know, I tell you, Barry, I think I'm going to have to give you a, a cop-out answer. It's so fluid right now. And I think what I'm, what I'm really proud of is that Panasonic is also not, um, not trying to force an answer right now. And they're allowing me and and our team to actually just adjust to the market and be able to to move with the needs of both the restaurant and the end customers. So I would say the future is fluid right now. And it's, you know, it's fluid both in terms of which restaurants will survive, how they will survive, and what the reimagined restaurant of the future looks like. Um, a lot of people are looking at the restaurant operations in Asia. You know, you've probably seen the, the concepts that have, you know, the, the plastic um, barriers between customers, the ones that brought in mannequins to give a sense of occupancy and kind of a, a, a cozy space, re, um, it, check-ins with temperature uh, temperature sensors at the entrance of the restaurant. I think a lot of those technologies are being tested and people are looking both uh, overseas for some of those ideas to trial, but every market is very different. Um, every consumer behavior and profile is, is very different and market dependent. And I think the U.S. is going to do its own thing as it always has done. Um, and it 
I'd be fooling myself if I could tell you what the future looks like. <laughs> well, it was a cop-out answer, but it was a sincere answer. And that's what we like, uh, especially our, our listeners. So we'll, we'll take it. We'll take the answer. <laughs> um, so thinking back, and we've discussed a lot in the last, I'd say, 15, 20 minutes, Agnes, what would you want our listeners to remember about this show? Um, I, there's... There's really a lot that we talked about. We talked about the concept behind Food Locker. We talked about the pain points. Um, we talked about Food Locker features and benefits. Um, but I think the story of Food Lockers for Panasonic hasn't really been a, a product innovation story in the way that you think of the, the tough books or the Panasonic Lumix camera that the Instagram and YouTubers are, you know, seeking right now because it's got all of the bells and whistles that they need. It's actually been a story of Panasonic being agile and mobilizing around a market and a customer need. It's been about timing, of course, and about the team and the process that had us incubating lockers since last fall and the support and the business uh, model and, and, you know, marketing also helping us out and, and bringing this very quickly to the market. But it's really been the story of asking the customer for what their needs are and saying, you know what, we're going to stick our necks out with you. And we'll do this. We don't know all of the answers. We're going to be fluid. It's a fluid time. It's a time of massive change where nobody knows all the answers, but we're going to do something different too. And I can tell you that this um, this concept that we have, it's it's not novel. We've seen lockers, you know, uh, all the way from your, your high school locker uh, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um, to today where, where the Amazon lockers are in half the gas stations around the, um, the U.S. So it's not product innovation that we're doing differently. It's the fact that we're going out there, we're talking to customers, figuring out their needs, and we're saying, we'll take a risk with you. We know that you need this. We'll invest some of our time, test this out with you. And if it doesn't work out, we're okay with it. We're going to do it very quickly. We're you know, we've kind of gone from having an idea back in the fall of last year to a proof of concept, you know, roughly it's, it's been a wild ride, but I have seen Panasonic move super quickly, mobilize this massive machine that we have, you know, of, of product and marketing and engineering and just say, you know what, we're going to give it a try and, um, and hopefully it helps some people out and we'll, uh, jury's still out, Barry. Well, I'm I'm hopeful, Agnes. Yeah. And there's nothing I could add to whatever you just said. It makes so much sense. And so we're we're nearing the end of our time. It's gone quickly, actually. Uh, so one last question. I ask it of everyone. Uh, what do you love most about your job? <sighs> heavy sigh. Oh, heavy sigh. You know, I. It's really tough to, to answer this question in the time um, that we're in, because I think if um, if you asked me this question two months ago, I'd have a really, really easy answer. I would say I love traveling. I love the opportunity to go to Japan and see Tokyo and see a whole different, you know, part of the world, um, you know, in kind of this undercover way. I love coming into the office and having, you know, kind of coffee chats. 
And so all of that is kind of gone away for me. Um, and I think the one thing that I love about Panasonic that still remains is, is still I'm a people-oriented person. So it really has been just the, the group of people and the fact that, you know, the, the job posting, I think, from five years ago when I joined said we're a, a family-like environment. That rings really, really true to me. It's, uh, it's still the same group of people. It's just now we do, you know, Zoom drink meetings. But it's been the social aspect and still having, you know, kind of the, the social interactions and the people in the group that have kept me going. So I think it's two answers. One of them is, is sort of the, the broader uh, experience I've had at Panasonic. Um, I don't know what the future experience is going to be if we're ever going to get back into the office and actually see each other's faces. Um, I do hope that that happens. But for the foreseeable future, it's, you know, faces on, on Teams meetings. Well, Agnes, I, I have to say it's been a pleasure having you on the show. And I want to thank you for joining. Thanks, Barry, for having me. This has been super fun. 